Is this it? Yeah, th- I'm, we're trying really hard to get is, you to check no, the is mic. No, is this it? Is this where we cast the pods? Yes. <laughs> this is where we cast the pods. Oh, wow. Okay. I've been saving a few of those up for uh, for a couple weeks now. I'm just going to go ahead and cast those. Uh, <laughs> hi. Hi. What kind of pods are you casting? Snap peas. Snap peas, huh? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Olympus, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 16 of The Lightning Thief. This chapter is called, We Take a Zebra to Vegas. It's zebra for our uh, UK listeners. We Take a Zebra (laughs) to Vegas. I... I'm a waitress in a diner trying to get somebody with a disposable camera. And this, also known as <laughs> also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. I am just a uh, concerned onlooker in a hotel right across the street from the Lotus. There you go. Also known as Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Kristen. How are you? It, isn't that hotel on a dead end, so there wouldn't really be something across the street from it? Uh, it shares a cul-de-sac. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, welcome to our first podcast of 2023. Indeed, it is. Cool. First of the year, we uh, have gotten through the holidays. I'm Sorry a- for the delay in our release schedule. But it was also, holidays. It was holidays. It was. Uh, which were quite good this year. I had a great holiday season. How I about you, too. Kristen? Yeah, it was pretty great. Nothing went wrong. Got some cool presents. Yeah. Kristen got a cloak that she hasn't taken off since Christmas. <laughs> I did. <sighs> I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, so I think we remember how to do this. Uh, how do we usually start? We start by uh, bantering. Yes. That one I know for sure. Then we go into our bullet point summary, yes. which is our uh, summaries in bullet points of the chapter that you and I each write our own of. And do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, I have a little, not a blurb, I have a thought to share uh, that might make it easier for people to understand my summaries, and I've never shared this before, but I write my summaries pretty much as a as a stream of consciousness as I'm reading through the chapter. I'll see a thing, and then I'll write it down. So sometimes I write down things that seem really obvious when taken in context of the entire chapter storyline, but it's just what I'm thinking at the current moment. So, I just thought I should explain that. For this one specifically. 16 episodes in. Yeah, well, we're starting a new book series, we're starting a new thing. It's still it's still early on in the Percy Jackson uh, canon. So, without further ado. two-thirds of a year on this book, and you're just... Without <laughs> further ado, here is my summary. Ares pays his debts. Percy is ungrateful, again. Percy's mom is alive? Let's all take the Sad Animal Express. Chiron has a history of really poor decision making. Hey look, they're friends. What exchange? Who's the servant? 
What's happening? <laughs> Vegas cops have an, an amazing response time. This hotel doesn't seem suspicious at all. Not even a little bit. You can check out any time you like. But you can never leave. That's one way to do a time jump. There you go. So, there's right, my summary. Now's my summary. Before you explain your summary, I'm going to do my summary. Go because for it. that's the order of operations. I wasn't going to explain anything. You were. No. Yes, you were. Go ahead. <laughs> Here's my summary. Turn in the quest to Ares, rewarded with Oreos, clothes, and a hint that Sally is alive. Quote, she is being kept. Humane zoo, humane zoo transport via Ares. Percy can hear the horse, Zebra. Annabeth is afraid of spiders. Grover talks about Thalia. Annabeth calls Percy friend. <laughs> Percy dreams, quote, on purpose, unquote, and sees his mother after hearing a conversation. Arriving in Vegas, they free the animals, Zebra, Lion, and Antelope. And wander into the Lotus Casino for five days. Oops. Yeah, uh, so this is a very long chapter. Uh, we have the opposite problem that we did with, uh, what was it, chapter 14 was the super, super short one. Something like that. Uh, so yeah, this one is probably the longest chapter in the book, um, based on what I'm seeing here. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of book left, and we got like six chapters to go, I think. There's 22. I don't know. So... Yeah. Um, so we take a zebra to Vegas. Uh, we open up with Percy coming back, and they give the shield back to Ares, who does some fancy magic, turns it into a bulletproof vest, because you know, it's a it's a shield in America. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's yeah. Um, and he makes good on his promise. He got them everything. He told him he would. Uh, they have a ride to Vegas. Uh, he even tosses in some extra stuff. Uh, some fresh clothes, so I guess they're not the, uh, what was the water park called? Waterland? So, something like that. Yeah. What rad. What Waterland. rad. Yeah. The, the uh, Waterland. Yeah, they're not the Waterland crew anymore, which is really disappointing, because I was hoping that would be a motif. Yeah. But they've got non-Waterland branded clothing, uh, a pouch full of golden drachmas, which, you know, I would take that, and a bag of double stuff Oreos, like, consider it done. Yep. Um, if, if anybody ever wants to know how cheap I am, I will get humiliated on live television for a bag containing double stuffed Oreos and a pouch of gold coins. <laughs> so if you want, anybody wants to throw that together, uh huh. um, also 20 bucks, which does seem kind of insulting. Just like, here's a 20. What, what are you going to do with that? Yep. We've already <laughs> established that money is, you, you can't feed three teenagers with 20 bucks. Yeah. Like one meal, like I mean... Let's go to Taco, Taco Bell. Bell. Taco Bell. <laughs> I was about to say Taco Bell. Taco Bell's a thing. Um, but also gets him a ride, and uh, Percy's really ungrateful about it, which I'm not going to forgive him for because he says in this uh, paragraph that he is aware that he's angry because of the effect Ares is having uh, based on his presence, yeah. and is still choosing to be like a little jerk about it. And, and it's just like, I don't want your lousy crap. And like That said, though, <laughs> if somebody has the ability to manipulate your emotions, and they do, yeah. but if you have every right to lean into it and be mad at them. Because if they don't like what they get from you, yeah. when, they are, when they have the ability to manipulate your emotions and make you angry, yeah. if they don't like that you get angry, yeah. like... That's very true. It serves them right. Uh, 
also kind of tries to start a fight with God of War, which is a really dumb decision. Yeah, and uh, and his and his <laughs> companions call him out for yeah, that. Are like you really don't want this. Thank you so much, Lord Ares. Grover jumps in and, and basically smushes him. Yeah, uh, I'm still curious about the fact that it seems like Ares' powers of like anger field aura type thing only really seem to apply to Percy and Grover and Annabeth just get nothing out of this at all. Yeah. So like we the book is also being told from Percy's perspective. Yeah. But, so but Annabeth it, and Grover still aren't reacting in such a way that makes it seem like The book is being told from Percy's perspective. So from his perspective, he's so involved in his own feelings and frustrations that he's not going to notice if they're being different or not. I guess so. It's a fair point. But yes, I, I do want to know more about why Grover is able to just, like, thank you. Yeah. But also, Grover is a much more timid person in general. Thank you is his response to being afraid anyway. <laughs> uh, but wait, there's one more thing that... Uh, but wait, there's more! That Ares uh, said he'd do for him that Percy points out. and uh, You owe me one more thing, Ares. Yes. Uh, information about his mom, which it... comes through. What, what, what's, what do we find out about Sally? She is being kept. Whoa. Study war, boy. Yeah. <clears throat> she is for a negotiation. She's a hostage. She went away in a shimmer of gold before the Minotaur got her. Yes. That's metamorphosis, is that what he says? Which is an interesting word choice. It yeah. says that's metamorphosis, which really implies that, like, that's not transportation. That means she's transforming into something else. Yes. The question is, is that the same color that rained down about around Thalia when she turned into the tree? Has it been described that way? Don't know. Uh, maybe I'd have to go back ten chapters to figure that, that out. that would be metamorphosis. That would be. Uh, so... Is that person specific, or is that just all metamorphosis? If if Mr. D turned Percy into a dolphin, would Percy <laughs> erupt into a shatter of... Shatter. Into a shatter. Erupt into a shower. A shower, shower of gold. Yeah. Sparkly light. We got there. Yeah. I don't know. These are the questions that we might always have about this series, like the uh, the deep lore that it doesn't get into. Uh, but regardless of what metamorphosis means, uh, she's alive. She's being kept. Spoil of war. Uh, because... I wouldn't say spoil of war. Well... <laughs> I, would, I would say hostage. Yeah, I guess so. And that's what he specifically says. She's a hostage. Uh, she's there for negotiation. And she is there specifically, specifically to control Percy. Which we have more allusions to Percy being manipulated through this whole thing. Yes. So, uh, I want to get into that, but I don't think we should get into that until the dream section. Because, like, I kind of want to read through the dream section just, like, word for word. Because there's a lot of subtext in there to get into, I think. Well, Percy makes the point, nobody's controlling me. And Ares laughs at him. Oh, yeah? See you around, kid. And then, you know, Percy gets mad at him and is like, you know, you're pretty smug for somebody who's afraid of Cupid statues. Yeah. And Annabeth and Grover are both just like, why are you doing this? Why are you so stupid? And Ares tells him, next time you're in a fight, watch your back. Which could be helpful advice. Or it could be a threat. We really don't know. Yeah. Uh... So we'll see if he comes back. I'm sure Ares is going to come back at some point. Oh, Positive. Yeah. Now, maybe not in this book, but in another one. 
Uh, so then they realize they need to book it out because like their their transport to Vegas isn't strictly um, legal. Well, I mean they're going to jump into the back of a truck. Yeah. And they look inside the the diner and see that the two people in the uniforms for the truck that match the truck are coming out. Yes. So they need to get in quickly before they get outside. Yeah. And this also, is... we noticed a point in which um, before, kind of at the beginning of the conversation with Aries, where Percy looks in and sees somebody take a picture of them. And he says, we're going to be on the news again. Oh, yeah. And he talks himself down. From attacking Ares because he's afraid that the news story would be that a 12-year-old beat up a biker. Yep. He's getting pretty confident in his Because he here. 100% believes that he could take Ares. <laughs> yeah. He is impertinent. <laughs> he is impertinent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his confidence is growing quite a bit. You can say that. He's, he's made some strides as a character. Uh... So then they go and jump in the back of an animal transport truck with a bunch of very sad animals. <laughs> with an albino lion. Yes. A zebra. And, and... A weird antelope. Yeah. Is is it... Does it say it's a weird yeah, antelope? Yeah, it says some okay. weird antelope thing. That I, I don't know the, know name, the for. name for. Yeah. Uh, who are all very uh, not well cared for, and the cage is too small and dirty, and, like, they don't have appropriate food, and, like, it's a very... It's a very depressing scene. Yeah. Uh, just being like... I asked you if you did your rewrite from the perspective of one of the animals, and you were just like, that would have been so depressing. Yeah, I thought about it, and I was just like, I can't do this and not have it be, like, really uh, a huge downer, so I, I went with a different thing yeah. entirely. Uh, but yeah, these 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 guys who are transporting the animals really don't care. Like, their cages are dirty, like, it smells super gross in here which like even at the best of circumstances if you've ever been to a zoo like it smells gross yeah like, animals just that, smell bad anyway like the in perfect conditions there's a bad smell yeah um but then uh you know somebody had given a bunch of meat to the zebra and the antelope and gave the lion a sack of turnips because like nobody's ever watched a uh, nature documentary in their lives um and they do they have to kind of figure out how to tuck themselves into i know between the turnip sacks and the grossness and whatnot yeah but before they do settle in they water they give water to all of the animals they ask grover to talk to them but get the sense that they don't talk back yes and at least at first um they switch the food for them yeah give the lion the meat water them give the turnips to the other two yeah they, they talk about setting them free, but then realize it's kind of a dumb move when the uh, truck is actively moving. Yeah. So, you know, that'll, that'll come later. Yep. Uh, and then they tuck into the double stuff Oreos, which, I want to point out, spelled correctly in the book. Yeah. Only one F. Yep. They are double stuff. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't get around copyright rules by adding an extra F on there. Nope. <laughs> no, these are a different type of cookie entirely. Um, and then... They kind of settle in and have a conversation, or at least Percy and Annabeth do. Uh, Grover is actively falling asleep. He has a couple lines, but it's mainly a conversation between Percy and Annabeth. Yes. Uh, well, they well they have a heart-to-heart, and Annabeth is just like, sorry for freaking out, and then Percy brings up stuff he knows about mythology, and it's just like, oh, well, obviously you have an issue with spiders because, because of like, arachne. this stuff. Uh, Percy lies to her again. <laughs> 
about what Luke said in their conversation on the uh, rainbow call. I mean, she asks, did Luke really say nothing? And he said, uh, he didn't lie. He he, he half-truthed it. Yeah. Kind of lies by omission. He said that you go way back. He yeah. also said Grover wouldn't fail this time. Nobody would turn into a pine tree. And then um, Grover, Grover is like, I should have told you the truth from the beginning. And so we have this conversation. Yeah, this finally comes out. Um, yeah. which so we've... Percy doesn't talk about the fact that Luke implies that Annabeth could betray him. Yeah. Um, he also still hasn't told them that there's problems at the camp. That. Yeah. Like, Which doesn't make a lot of sense, but... I feel like I feel like they weren't there for that, right? In the conversation, they had I walked know. away before he explained why Chiron wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. Basically, they, they, the entire conversation happens between Percy and Luke and nobody else is involved. Yeah. Um, so why he doesn't share that, who knows. Uh, but Grover finally kind of admits this and was just like, yep, yeah, I was there, it was me, with Thalia, daughter of Zeus. I was supposed to get him to the... Uh, him, her whatever to the camp um the other two in that group well that was obviously luke and annabeth well we knew annabeth was in that group yeah i as i guessed earlier that the other one was luke yeah uh and there's a couple of interesting things here that come out where that happens uh luke and annabeth kind of fall in with thalia who had run away from home and they were trying to you know fight their way up from virginia through monsters to get to the camp etc cetera, etc cetera. which um, i mean it doesn't specifically say that because they don't exactly know where they're heading uh i guess that's true yeah she just said we were going north from virginia not not sure where we were going yeah uh successfully fending off monsters for two weeks yeah uh before grover found us and we know grover got sent on this assignment um so there's two interesting things here I wanted to point out. One is that uh, Grover says, I was supposed to escort Thalia to camp only Thalia. Yeah. Where Chiron is just basically like, I don't give a crap about anybody else. You get her to the camp. That's it. Well, she was the priority because she was the daughter of Zeus. Yes. Um, so kind of kind of cold from, from Chiron. But at the same time, She's the daughter of Zeus. This is the first time any of the big three have had a kid in, in whatever, how many hundred 40 years? 40 years. In 40 years Since or something World like that. Since World War II. Since World War II. And so it was a really big deal. And Chiron, well, uh, and the powers that be are just like, no, this should be Grover's first ever mission. Was that his first ever? It, 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 he talks about it being his first time actually doing something like this. Yeah. And he failed. They're like, this is the most important person in our world right now. We're going to send a first timer after her. Yeah. Which seems like a dumb decision on everybody's part. A little bit. And then they get super mad at him that he failed when she would have more things coming after her than Percy did or anybody else on Earth because it's Zeus's kid. Yeah. And they sent, like, one teenager. So whose fault was it, really? Was it Grover's fault here? I mean, that, that part of that is also, like... Let's look at the culture of the Seekers and the, the Satyrs and what they do. Like, uh-huh. that's that's who they are. That's what they do. They go get the kids. They bring them back. Like, yeah. they find the kids. Like, that's that's their whole job. Yeah. So, I, I guess I would assume that it's okay for a first-timer to get sent on that. Okay. I don't know, though. I mean. Yeah. 
in terms of in terms of this, I, it is only forty years, and in terms of like the gods, it's not that long. Yeah, I don't know, uh, but I just think that was kind of a dumb decision in Chiron's part. Uh, and Grover talks about this a little bit, where he was just like, you know, I couldn't leave them behind. Like I tried to get everybody in there, like it slowed me down. That's why she got turned into a tree, et cetera, et cetera. Well, she defended them. She saved yeah. all three of them: yeah. Grover and Luke and Annabeth. Yeah. Uh, but tell that to the Council of Cloven Elders. I did like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we learn a little bit more about Grover. Like, we knew all of this already, but we finally said it out loud. And we actually had Grover involved in the conversation where he acknowledges these things. Yeah. Uh, and Annabeth and Percy are just like, no, it's cool. Uh, Grover gets down on himself. Percy's just like... Yeah, both of them are just like, you rescued two people instead of one yeah and you got all three of them to the edge of the camp like yeah anyone who's punishing you for saving two people instead of one is dumb yeah you've been you've been carrying this entire party also yeah uh and percy's just like it's totally gonna be you the you're the one that's gonna find pan yeah, and like it was to- like when when he used the wing shoes, he was awesome. And he was like, "Yeah, it was awesome," you know, yeah. like all of these things. Like we have this very affirmative of Grover moment with the group, which is really nice. Uh, now, is this like really direct on the nose foreshadowing? That what? Where Percy's just like, "That's why you'll be the one who finds Pan." Probably. <laughs> this will be a thing that happens at some point in the book. It'll probably be book three. Okay, you call that all, now. Where they all go together to save Pan. I don't know. Read me the titles. What's which one of those titles looks like a looks like Pan? I don't know. Uh, anyway, it and was then, a genuine request. Oh, okay, sorry, I didn't want to get up. Uh huh. Book three is called the Titans Curse. So whatever that tells us about the search for Pan, because as we know, that's the real plot of these books. Um. Anyway, so then Grover goes to sleep. Percy and Annabeth continue having a little heart-to-heart conversation. There's a little character development here where Annabeth talks about all her various beads on her necklace and, you know, Yeah, well, because Percy asks about it and and she explains that, like, the kids don't make these beads. The camp chooses what the defining moment of... Yeah, I really want to know about the centaur in a prom dress. I know, me too. (laughs) There's something going on there. Just like the the toddlers at the arch or whatever it was, the preschoolers at the arch. Yeah, it was an incident. Uh, Annabeth gets into her daddy issues uh, more in depth this time where, you know, she tried to reconcile with her dad. It didn't work out because she has a crappy stepmom. Where have I heard this before? Um, The monsters came and they fought and the monsters came and they fought. Yeah. And terrible issues with step-parents. Like, this seems very, very familiar. Yep. Uh, And Percy tries to be like, "Eh, maybe you can make it happen at some point. And then changes the subject. I mean, like, though, like, are we actually mad at the stepmom here who doesn't want monsters coming and attacking when she has two small children younger than Annabeth? Yeah. Screw her, right? Yeah. Like, (laughs) when it's very clear and maybe even said outright that Annabeth is, like, like, Annabeth is the cause of these monsters coming. If there's somewhere else safe Annabeth can be that's not around the two other kids. Yeah. I guess I'm not blaming the stepmom there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's more it's more blaming your dad. Just being like he he made the choice to live with her instead of yeah. Annabeth. Yeah, exactly. And Annabeth makes that point too. She even says, you know, he chose 
you know, it's it's not about it's not on me who he chose to live with. Yeah. And then Percy changes the conversation and is like, let's let's talk about something lighter. Let's talk about whether or not you're going to betray me if Poseidon and Athena go to war. Uh, and then Annabeth is just like, no, I'm going to fight with you because you're my friend. And you you pointed this out. You did, too. You said they're friends. Yeah. Hey, look, they're I, friends. And I said she calls him friend. Yes. She's the first person who has used that word. Correct. Since his vision. Yeah. So who and the visions or not vision but prophecy with the with the oracle yeah and the oracle specifically said you will be betrayed by someone who calls you friend yes and I and I, like that that's the first time someone has called him friend yeah so that I can remember there was something about Luke where that it danced around using the word but yeah but this is, I've been looking for it and it, like that you're yeah. correct this is the first time anybody uses the word uh, so that's a thing. Do we think there's more evidence for Annabeth betraying him now? I still don't think that it's going to happen. Because, like, we know it's Luke. We know it, we know it's Luke. That's, like, the, the sneaky one who's working behind everybody's backs. Um, or at least we assume. Yeah. Uh, is, is she going to side with Luke when he betrays Percy inevitably? That's... Long game, I don't think so. Like, Uh I think that this little core group of Annabeth, Grover, and Percy is going to be the core group through all all of the books. Yeah. Like, I think this is the group that we're following. Yeah. Uh, But in this book, specifically, I think it's going to end on a a cliffhanger where... I I mean, I don't think the book's going to end on a cliffhanger. (laughs) No. But um, I do think there's a chance that, like... Luke will show up and she'll side with Luke and betray Lucy, per, Lucy, Percy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Lucy. And, and betray Percy. But, yeah, I don't, I, I think the real betrayal is going to be Luke, not. Yeah, would make sense. We'll see what happens there. Uh, anyway, so they all go to sleep. Uh, and then Percy has a dream. And this dream is fascinating. Uh. And as, as far as all the dream sequences have gone, like, I really liked this one. Yeah, this one is unique, because in this one, Percy, like, this dream starts out taking a test. Mm-hmm. Something he dreamed a million times before, as he says. Well, he's taking a test wearing a straight jacket. Yeah, which standardized is like... test. He's taking a straight bat jacket. He's wearing a straight jacket. The teacher's like, why don't you pick up your pencil? The straight jacket is his, his dyslexia. Yep. I, I think that's pretty that's pretty straightforward imagery. Yep. Um but then he sees somebody else. Uh she says a girl my age with unruly black punk style hair, dark eyeliner around her stormy green eyes and freckles around her nose, somehow I knew who she was. She was Thalia. Person he he's never met or seen before. He's never seen any image of her, but she appears in this very distinctive way in his dream. Yeah. And did we decide that Zeus's color was green? Or gold? Uh, Poseidon's color is green. Poseidon's color is green. Yes. Whose color was blue? Uh, we don't know yet. We, we only have green because that's the symbol of the trident that appeared above Percy's head. We had a couple of other colors yeah. from the banners and stuff like that. I think so. But we, hey. don't, we don't have... <laughs> Athena was silver gray. Ares is red. Artemis is white. You're really keeping track of the colors in this one. Poseidon was green. Yeah. 
We thought Zeus was gold. Yeah, but Zeus being Lord of the Air, blue would make sense too. Yeah, blue would also make sense. Uh-huh. Anyway, I just would have expected her to have Zeus's color eyes for him to stand out so much, but green eyes got it go ahead apparently not uh and i'm I'm probably gonna read this whole thing word for word mostly because i think there's just a lot of interesting uh context here and thalia who he's never seen before is also wearing this straight jacket and at first says well well seaweed brain one of us has to get out of here which is what which is what annabeth had just called him yes like when she called him friend yes i'm your friend seaweed brain yeah so i think i thought that was uh worth noting and then she says, one of us has to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, they, it is implying they're both trapped somewhere. And then he's just like, you know, I realize that she's right. I'm going back to that cavern. I'm going to give Hades a piece of my mind. Yep. Straight jacket melts off. Teacher's voice changed until it was cold and evil and echoing in the depths of a great chasm. Percy Jackson, it said, yes, the exchange went well, I see. And he is eavesdropping on a conversation. He is. So this is more than, it seems like this is more than just a dream. Like he's astral projected or something, but he is, he is somewhere else. Yes. Listening in on this. And now unseen in the pit is the monstrous thing that was like using him as an anchor to crawl out of the pit in the previous dream. Yeah. But it wasn't addressing him. It's talking to someone else. And we don't know who that someone else is. We don't, we, in a, we assumed from the monster in the pit story uh-huh. dream yeah that the monster in the pit is not hades yeah that it is something else entirely yeah and so this seems like it could be a conversation between the monster in the pit and hades yeah or some somebody else some kind of errand boy yeah uh which he says another voice one i almost recognize yes. so it's a it's a voice he's probably heard before yes so my initial thought was that this was a conversation between hades and luke yeah that was my initial uh-huh. thought. Same. But because on, on my second read-through, it it implies that this monstrous thing from the pit is the first voice. Yes. And is being referred to as my lord by a second voice. Yes. It just seems a little odd. Yeah. Uh, so there's something mentioned about an exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they say that Percy's ignorant. Yeah, he suspects nothing. He's as ignorant as the rest, so they're deceiving multiple people here. It's not just Percy. Yeah. Um, but nobody sees the actual plan. Uh, deception upon deception, deception, the thing the pet mused. Um, Truly, my lord. You are well you are named. well the, named the crooked one. Now is but crook- was it really necessary? I could have brought you what I stole directly. Yes. Now, I didn't look this up. Is the crooked one a name for Hades? Is this a thing in the lore? It's not. Okay. It's a name for Kronos. Okay. Cool. We had some lore about Kronos earlier. We had there. There's a brief story that that Chiron tells about Kronos. What was that about? It happens in like the first few chapters. It's not actually um, specifically Chiron. Uh-huh. It's Chiron asking Percy questions when they're at the museum in the first chapter. Okay. When they're at the museum. Yeah. Will you shut up? It came out louder than I meant it to, and the whole group laughed. Mr. Brunner stopped his story. Mr. Jackson, did you have a comment? And he says, perhaps you'll tell us what this picture represents. I looked at the carving. That's Kronos eating his kids, right? Yes. And he did this because... And so Percy goes into, Kronos was the king god. 
god, Titan, and he didn't trust his kids who were the gods, so Kronos ate them. And his wife hid baby Zeus and gave Kronos a rock to eat instead. And later when Zeus grew up, he tricked his dad into barfing up his brothers and sisters. Yeah. So, I mean, we know that Kronos is like the Titan father of the gods, but. Yes. Uh, so in, in the actual like Greek lore, I think the story is a lot weirder and darker than that. And probably involves a lot more like blood and weird sex stuff. But um, I seem to remember uh Kronos gets slain and gets thrown into Tartarus. This is like locked beneath the earth for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so he's the monster in the pit. So Kronos is down there. So let's assume it's Kronos because he's named here. Yeah, he's called the Crooked One. Uh, this, so this is not necessarily Hades' plot. Not ne- This seems like it's Kronos' plot now, yes. Yes. Why? What is Kronos after? He's trying to pit the gods against each other so he can, like, come back. Is that kind of what's, uh... He wants his revenge on Zeus? Who knows? <sighs> yeah, so... Because they've stolen the lightning bolt. Yeah. This the, is... the symbol of Zeus's power. Yeah. Like, if Kronos wants revenge on anybody, it's Zeus who's the one who cut him... Who, who, who escaped from him. Yeah. And got all the rest of the gods out. So, that's a big reveal. Yeah. So, Kronos is probably the one behind this. Uh, we still don't know who's talking to him. Uh, but the person who's talking to him says, I could have brought you what I stole directly. So we're obviously referring to the Master Bolt here, which means the Master Bolt is probably not in the Underworld. Probably not. Where is it? Who has it? What is What is it? Why? Why is it? I mean, we, we, we know... Well, I mean, we assumed already that it wasn't in the Underworld. Yes. And we have the motif here that's happened a couple times of like... These, these mystical, like, god objects can look like other things. So, like, Percy has a sword that looks like a pen. Ares takes the shield, turns it into a bulletproof vest. So the Master Bolt could look like anything. Mm-hmm. It could look like a pen sword that Chiron gave to him to deliver to Hades. It could. It would be... It would be... I feel like that would be lazy if we were just like, hey, we're going to name this sword. Like, it has a cool Greek name and it has magic powers, but also it's the Master Bolt. Like, I feel like that doesn't work. Um, but, yeah, we can... Uh, so, we learn that it's probably Kronos. We learn that the Master Bolt probably isn't uh, in the Underworld, or at least Kronos doesn't have it already. Um, uh, the Crooked One, whoever that is talks down to a servant here and, and it's just like you would have failed me completely had i not intervened already um so he's angry at whoever's serving him also says uh others line here that says our six months has brought us much what happened six months ago in the story i mean this is june six months ago was the this the Field trip to the, the winter sol- solstice yeah was the solstice yeah that's when the the six months ago is when the bolt was stolen originally yes uh and zeus has gotten angrier uh he says poseidon has played his most desperate card which is uh, probably claiming percy claiming percy uh we shall use it against him um and then there's this line shortly you shall have the reward you wish and your revenge as soon as both items are delivered into my hands but wait he's here both items what are both what are both items yeah are we are we calling Percy an item? Is there a reason that, like, somebody might want Percy? Like, the Master Bolt is one, but what what else are we talking about? Well, here? I mean, with the Master Bolt, he has 
power to challenge Zeus. And with Percy, he has power to challenge Poseidon. Yeah. We're talking about the big three right now. Yeah. We're in Hades dealing possibly with Hades. We have Poseidon and we have Zeus. Yeah. I mean, if we're assuming the crooked one is Cronus, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, I don't think Hades is the other person in this conversation. Because I don't think Cronus would be talking down to Hades that much. Being it's like, his no, son. Right. Yes. But also, would Hades just kind of stand there and take it? Who knows? Uh, but it says, shortly you'll have the reward you wish and your revenge. So if we were, if we were assuming... That the other person in this conversation is Luke. Who, who would he want revenge against? If it was Chiron, who would he want revenge on? Yeah. If it's Dionysus, who would he want revenge on? If it's Hades, who would he want revenge on? There is one person in this list that has a reasonable answer to that question, and it's Hades. Yeah. But where does Luke fit into this? Because we know Luke finish is Finish reading the book, okay? <laughs> like, we, we're going to finish... That's what we do. We speculate. This is why we talk about the chapter. No, we talk about the chapter. We speculate in the baseless speculation section. Yeah, there's just so much here that I want to know the answers to. <laughs> I know. Read the book. Um, do this podcast every week with me instead of every two weeks. I try. Uh, and then we then find out Percy is here. Uh, and the voice says, what? You summoned him? And the... and. Who we're so, going to call Chronos says so no. So that tells us that thus far, all these dreams that Percy's been having have been a summoning yeah. by Chronos. Yes. So Percy's been summoned to witness these different things. Yeah. The battling between Zeus and Poseidon on the shore. Yeah. The the Chronos trying to crawl out of the pit with yeah. his mother over the pit and stuff like that. Like these dreams that he's had so far have been a summons from Chronos. Yeah. And this is him at Thalia's prompting going on his own. Yes. And the response to that being, well, I'm just, I'm going to tell you now and ruin it for later. This is the sentence I chose as my favorite sentence for the chapter. Uh Blast his father's blood. He is too changeable, too unpredictable. The boy brought himself hither. Yeah. And so every cry is impossible. And then the uh, Kronos says, for a weakling such as you, perhaps... Um, so that, that little exchange makes me really think it's not Hades because it's like, if because it, if, this is someone who's stronger than, yeah, yeah, Percy's stronger than this person in this aspect. Yeah. Which I don't think he's better than a God. At, mm-hmm. So I, I think it's gotta be, I don't know. Percy's revealed all the power and attention of this thing in the pit turns to him. And it says, so you wish to dream of your quest, young half blood, then I will oblige. And then he has a vision. Another mm-hmm. one. Uh, where he's standing in a vast throne room, marble walls, bronze floors. There's an empty, horrid throne was made from human bones fused together. And standing at the foot of the dais was my mother, frozen in shimmering golden light, her arms outstretched. So there is a throne made out of bones and whatnot, who we can assume is Hades. Probably. God of death. It's empty. Yep. Why is it empty? Fascinating. <sighs> Where's Hades? Um... And he tries to go out toward her, only to realize that he's dying. His hands are withering apart. Grinning skeletons in Greek armor crowded around me, draping me with silk robes, wreathing my head with laurels that smoked with chimera poison, burning into my scalp. And the evil voice began to laugh, Hail the conquering hero. And I woke with a start. Yeah. So, that's a lot. It is a lot. That's a, that's a, that's a, it's a big dream. Big dream energy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh... But yeah, there's a, it just raises a lot of questions. Like, where is Hades in this? Like, who is setting Percy up? Because obviously this is a setup. Like, this yeah. implies this whole thing is a trap. 
Yeah. And someone is trying to bring the lightning bolt to Kronos. Yes. And it has to be one of the three. Yeah. Like, one of them has to have the bolt on them without knowing it. Yeah. One would think. Somehow. Yeah. I just... It's like the only the only three things we know, really know about they have. We have Riptide. There's Annabeth's hat and there's Grover's, like, fancy shoes that Luke gives him. Like, is it the shoes? Maybe. <sighs> yeah. I mean... The whole point of the shoes is that you can fly through the air, which is Zeus's domain. Yeah. The whole point that he can't use them is because it's Zeus's power that is used in those shoes. Yeah. Somewhere in the future, Steve is listening to this and cackling right now at how how wrong we are and how we're completely (laughs) missing missing it, I'm sure. Um, Speaking of somewhere in time, though, and I don't have anything so far in the book that lends credence to this theory but among other things Kronos is the god of time so do we think maybe there's some sort of weird time hijinks that are happening or will happen you mean like when they go into the Lotus Hotel (laughs) well that's a whole separate thing that I'll get into because I I I looked into that um but yeah maybe there's weird timiness timey-wiminess happening who knows anyway then he wakes up um, the truck is stopped. Uh, Grover's waking him up. He thinks the drivers are going to come check on the animals. So they've got to come up with some kind of plan. So they end up uh, trying to hide. Truckers open the back doors. Uh, Man, I wish I hauled appliances. Yep. Yeah. Uh, kind of uh, come in and abuse the animals because they're jerks. Uh, and then... I well, mean... That said, they get out of the truck and it's 110 degrees. Yeah. Like, splashing water on the animals in trapped in the truck parked in 110 degrees. Yeah. I wouldn't say that that's specifically cruel. Yeah. I mean, like, the transporting them is the cruel part of that. Like... Yeah. Lion doesn't love it, though. Yeah, obviously. Um, and well, is this when we have the first instance of Percy hearing the zebra? Yes. Yes. Um... But Annabeth sneaks out of the truck, does some banging on the outside, is trying to distract him. So. Yeah, she puts the hat on, she bangs around. But we have him, we have the guy come in and say to the zebra, how you doing, Stripes? Uh, we're getting rid of you at this stop. So they're dropping off the zebra here, and the zebra looks straight at Percy with fear in his eyes. And yes. this is when Percy starts to hear the zebra talking. Yes, uh, because apparently it is close enough to a horse. Yep. Um, and Percy's got a connection. But Percy does what does Percy does figure that out on his own. We don't have to handhold him through that. Yeah. I mean, we've established in the book earlier that Poseidon is the god of horses. Yeah, it's close enough to a horse who can talk to him. Now that raises the question of how far away from a horse can we get before he no longer can talk to the animal? The other Which... question <laughs> is, what do the rest of these animals represent? I I thought about that for a second, but I was also just like, there's a lion and a weird antelope, and like, if I was gonna say something, like, the weird antelope is Grover and the lion is Annabeth, but also the lion doesn't really make sense for her, because, like, Athena's symbol is like an owl, and lions aren't really considered all that smart. Yeah. So. Well, and then when I looked up the list of animals that are associated with each of the Greek gods, because I did do that. Uh Uh-huh. Um, it, it didn't work. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> the closest thing was that Artemis is, is a deer or a wild boar, and that's the closest. Nobody gets close to a lion. Like, the closest thing to a lion is the panther. Yeah. Um, and that and the panther is um, Dionysus. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't work. But I was, you know. Whatever. Completely unrelated. I did learn the other day that uh, historically lions had a much, much larger range uh, across the continents than they currently do. And they were pretty common throughout all the Mediterranean countries, including Greece. Yep. And so, like, there were just wild lions in, in Greece. Yeah. So, like, when you talk about the, the stories of Anticles and the lion, that yeah. it actually does make sense that yeah. this wasn't some Central African figure. This was a yeah. Mediterranean uh, institution. Crazy, huh? Uh, anyway. <laughs> it's weird how the human animal has so impacted the climate and the culture and the whole world that we can, can't even begin to trace back all of the implications of our existence on the life around us. Yeah, but that's beyond the scope of this podcast, so <laughs> we're not... That'll be our next podcast that we do. Um, yeah, that'll be the next one we do. <laughs> we're going to shift gears pretty dramatically here. Uh, anyway, so they open up all the cages. They let all the animals out, partially to free them, uh, partially as a distraction so they yes. can get out themselves. So Annabeth startles them by banging on the side. They're, the two men are yelling at each other, and they both go outside and get into a fight, which is when... Percy and Grover can then free the animals. And Grover puts a satyr's blessing on all three of the animals. Yeah, which is funny because in the book, it's is like, he does this and explains it. And my first thought as soon as he explained it was, why hasn't he done that before? And then Percy's just like, why haven't you done that before? Yep. And Grover uh, says it only works in all wild animals. So couldn't i couldn't provide us with shelter and food and water and all these things that would have been great to have yep on our journey he can't even do that for the little pink dog yeah not a wild animal not a wild animal uh so they escape the truck run off they're gonna find safety cool uh some cops immediately show up and are just like you need a permit for that which is like this is why I put down Vegas uh, police response time is insane. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about basically they're on the strip and there are police all over the strip. Yeah. Um, but we must have taken a wrong turn because we found ourselves at a dead end standing in front of the Lotus Hotel and Casino. Yeah, they walked on the strip in the I did not do any research about this. I was too busy looking into animal symbolism for the gods and, and learning about Kronos' nicknames. What did you learn about the Lotus Hotel? Uh, so I thought the imagery was too, uh, specific. Yeah. So I looked And repeated up. over and over and over again. It smelled like flowers. I've never smelled a lotus, but I assume that's what they smell like. Uh, and this is a, this is a story beat taken pretty much directly out of Homer's Odyssey. Mm-hmm. I uh, figured, so, as most of this book has been. Yeah. Uh, and so during the Odyssey at some point, uh, the ship lands on an island of the Lotus Eaters. Who are this island of people that are basically addicted to this fruit that grows off of a off of a lotus flower, and all they want to do is lay around and eat this fruit. And they've they've been on there so long that they've forgotten who they are and their families and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and they just kind of exist on this island. Yeah. Uh, in this half drunken stupor. Uh, so this is pretty much exactly that. Uh, one one to one. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they find this hotel. Uh, and the the doorman offers him to come inside, take a look around, et cetera, et cetera. And Percy is just like, well, I've learned to be suspicious, but he's obviously just like a normal dude. 
which like within the universe of Percy Jackson, I'm really curious as to what domain this hotel <laughs> falls under. Yeah. Because like this is just a thing in a major city that traps children. Yep. Like who's behind this? Like what's <laughs> Well what's this you all about? talked about timey wiminess. Yeah. Is uh, this something that is from Kronos? I mean Kronos has been in the pit for so long, like it probably isn't, but Yeah. He probably doesn't actually have influence directly on the earth anymore from his pit prison but one would think that's why he's working through terrible agents like luke who else um, can control time well and it's not even necessarily i guess from our perspective it's a time bending but from from the perspective of whoever's manipulating this it is just they spend five days in there yes and they they probably actually spent five days in there uh, but they go in and they find, like, the, the dream hotel for any, like, teenager. Yeah. Uh, and there's, Climbing like... Climbing walls. There's rides. There's, like, all VR sorts of... VR headsets. The coolest video games. Like, water all the Water slide snacks. down. The 40-story uh, elevator. A, a, a little spiral water slide around a 40-story elevator. And I spent some time thinking of, like, how long would you be in that water slide? For that would... a very long time. <laughs> I'd be like... I feel like after my fifth minute in the water slide, I'd be like, okay, I'm kind of done with this. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> this seems like a lot. Bad vibes, man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and so Bellhop shows up and is just like, uh, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, like Dionysus. Like, uh, much like Dionysus. Can you imagine that this place would be a realm for Dionysus? Because it is all about pleasure. Yeah. It's all about just debauchery. Yeah. Eating all of the chips and soda that you want, sleeping on water beds, yeah. skeet shooting over the strip, just being here, playing games. Even Grover gets to shoot filthy humans. Yeah. Uh, is this is this a trap set up by Dionysus? Do we think that? I mean, in in the in the lore of the Odyssey, this place is just something that exists and is not like specifically a trap for, yeah. for any specific person. It's just kind of there, yeah. Uh, and it kind of seems like that this hotel is just kind of here, and they happen to wander into it because they have terrible luck. Uh, but they get like unlimited credit cards. They have like a freaking penthouse suite. They can go up to unlimited snacks and everything they could possibly want. They all uh, shower. They get clean clothes that all fit them. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty great. Uh, Percy, Percy throws away the backpack <laughs> yeah. that Ares gave him. Not gonna need this. I'll buy a new one in the gift shop. Yeah, which just throws away the drachma, which seems kind of irresponsible. I mean, it doesn't say that. It says he throws away the backpack. That doesn't mean that he threw away the drachma, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I would think he wouldn't want to throw away money, but that's just me. Um. Anyway, and then he starts to think something's wrong. It's just like, oh yeah, I should probably talk to my friends about this dream I have. There's Did there's I other pressing stuff. Did I? Was there a dream? Whatever. So they enjoy it, live the high life. Uh, there's all these games and stuff that they get into uh, and get trapped by. Uh, until Percy is just like, uh, yeah, something's really wrong here when he starts talking to this kid that's wearing bell bottoms. Mm-hmm. And uh, looks Same like he's uh, displaced in time and talks to him and is just like, hey, by the way, what year do you think it is? And he's like, 1977. Interesting. All right. Uh, and then he asks a couple of other kids, and one thinks it's 1985, and another thinks it's 1993, so there's been a 
bunch of kids that have been in here for apparently a very, very long time. Yep. Uh, which, you know, all things considered, if I'm trapped in a hotel with all the amenities I could ever want and it makes me immortal, like, there are worse ways to, uh... To spend eternity? There's worse ways to spend eternity, for sure. True. Uh, now they do end up, uh, forgetting why they're there and their families and everything, so that's Yeah, kinda... Percy almost forgets his mom's name. Yeah, and he's only in there for a few days. Yeah, and that's so. when he starts to get scared. And it seems like fear is the specific thing that, like, shakes people out of this. Yeah, would seem so, because he gets scared about it, immediately goes and find Annabeth, finds Annabeth, uh, and shakes her out of this trance by mentioning spiders. Yeah. Uh, and then they don't even try to bother snapping Grover out of it. They just go and drag him outside. Yeah. <laughs> and the person, the bellhop, the, the, the Hawaiian shirt-wearing guy, Yeah, is just sad. Like, he genuinely seems sad that they're leaving. Yeah. He's not going to stop them. He's not mad at them. He just genuinely seems sad that he can't continue to keep them alive and young forever and happy. Yeah, I mean, this kind of seems like a cool place because it doesn't, like, if there's people that have been there for 30 years, it doesn't really seem like, you know, they're losing anything. Yes. Like, nobody's but like... then, they walk outside and Percy still has the backpack. Yeah. The question is... Was any of that real? Was any of it real at all? Uh-huh. It's keeping people alive. Yeah. So there's something keeping people alive, but, like... It doesn't, it doesn't show in this chapter, but I wonder if they realize when it's been five days later, like, that they haven't eaten for five days or something, or if they stay not hungry or something, or if they're good, like. Possibly. Uh, yeah, so who knows, but they manage to drag themselves out, they get outside, they realize, oh crap, we thought we had a week, we now have one day. Yep. Because they went in there on the 14th, they came out. On the 20th. Yeah. The solstice is the 21st. Yeah. And they're still in Vegas. Yep. So they need to get to LA and find the underworld and figure things out in the next day. Yep. So I have a feeling the next two chapters are going to be quite hectic as we uh, get into like the climax of this book here. Indeed. Um, cool. Do you think it's significant that their room is 4001? I don't think so. Okay. But... I was going to mention that it was specifically 4001. Yeah. Room 4001. Cool. Anything else we missed in the chapter? I think we got everything. I mean, the albino lion was the only thing I had noted that we didn't really touch on was that he was specifically an albino lion. Yeah. And does end up talking to Grover eventually and it's just like, yeah, these guys are animal smugglers. Yeah. Totally not a legit enterprise. Yeah. So, other than that, the antelope never says anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if it does, it says it to Grover, and it's not considered important. What's the antelope story? Uh, cool. I think we covered it. Lots of speculation, lots of questions that I want the answers to, but uh, yeah. you know, we're almost through the book, so. We've also been recording for an hour. Cool. <laughs> so we should do our next segment, Kristen. What's our next segment? Favorite sentences. All right. I'll read mine again. Blast his father's blood. He is too changeable, too unpredictable. Like the sea. Yep. Like the sea. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, here's my favorite sentence. Grover and I had to dive behind feed sacks and hope we looked like turnips. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. 
Uh, and I like that one just because, like, that's another, like, classic D&D party interaction where, like, yeah. the wizard just turns invisible and pieces out and, and the other two have to roll a uh, deception check, check to yeah. look like turnips. Yep. Cool. Would that be deception or is that performance? <laughs> uh, should, we move, should we move on to our final segment? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, so in this one, uh, if you haven't listened before, which... It's a weird chapter to get into for your first episode. But what we do is we go through and we rewrite the chapter from a different character's perspective. And that could be somebody mentioned in the chapter or, like me, it could be somebody I completely invented because I didn't want to do it from, like, the sad lion. So, uh... Yeah. Would you like to go first or would you like me to, Kristen? I feel Um, like yours is going to be a downer. I'll do mine first. Okay. Okay. Mine is from the perspective of one of the drivers of the truck. Okay. Eddie, specifically. Yep. The diner was pleasant enough, though the waitress seemed pretty distracted when a biker pulled up out front like she was scared of him or something, but he never even came in. Either way, we paid and headed back to the truck. It was my turn to drive, so Maurice knocked out pretty quickly. He'd hired me to help him drive this load, but it still didn't sit right with me moving animals through the desert heat like this. But Maurice paid extra for no questions. So we made it to Vegas, and Maurice heads back to feed and water, and to collect the zebra we're dropping at the magic act. Then he's banging on the side of the trailer and yelling at me, coming out yelling that I was banging crazy fool. And and then whatever was going on, I out jumped all the animals, like the lion, the zebra, the, the horned gazelle thing. That's when I knew we were screwed and I wasn't getting paid. Should have asked more questions. There you go. Very straightforward. <laughs> cool. Would you like to hear mine? Yeah. All right. So mine is from the, from the perspective of uh, two people that are staying in a hotel that's next to the Lotus. Because I, I thought this was interesting. I'm, I'm just saying, I think it's really concerning. A hotel? A, a hotel that we've never seen an adult go into. So maybe it's one of those weird teen nightclubs. It's 40 stories tall. Well, I mean, there's a lot of odd stuff in Vegas. Maybe it's just, like, a big facade, like the Eiffel Tower. No one ever leaves, Margaret. Okay, maybe they have AC and video games. Why would they want to? And our hotel has a jacuzzi and an unlimited shrimp buffet. I still go other places. Well, if if you're so worried, why don't you go check it out? Well, um... I mean, I would, but it's it's full of teenagers. (laughs) And your plate is still full of shrimp. Solve that problem first. <laughs> so, I like it. There you go. Just figured that would be kind of an odd thing. There's a 40-story hotel in Vegas that nobody ever comes out of. Somebody would somebody would notice something. I don't know. There's a <laughs> lot of different doors in all the hotels. Uh-huh. You haven't been there yet. Correct. It's really hard to go in and out the same door on purpose (laughs) in a hotel in Vegas. It is extremely difficult to intentionally get out the same door that you came in. Trust me. Keep that in mind. This is a survival strategy. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we've gone long enough with this podcast. Shall we uh, close it out? Sure thing. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed Chapter 16 of The Lightning Thief. Join us next week as we read Chapter 17, We Shop for Waterbeds, which also has weird kerning. <laughs> oh, no, I guess it's the same. Yeah. 
We shop for waterbeds. Are waterbeds still a thing in 2005? Like they were yeah, very like they late were, 80s. They were on the way out. Yeah. yeah. In the meantime, you can interact <laughs> with us and answer that question. Were waterbeds still a thing in 2005? Uh, you can interact with us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Podcast, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of waterbeds in Las Vegas. Or don't. Or don't. Or don't. It's like, did you really don't, think about that one? Don't do that. Um, at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast, where you get nothing in return except the joyful satisfaction of supporting us. And a very special thank you to Ryan for all of the fan art and support. We really appreciate you. And yeah, until next time, don't accidentally traffic animals or lightning bolts. And if somebody hands you an unlimited credit card for no reason, uh, it's probably a catch. Probably. (laughs) Bye. Snap peas, huh? Yeah. I was trying to think of another pod vegetable. Peas are kind of go to. I was going to say generic seed pods works. Edamame. That's coming to pod. Yeah. Is this a thing in the lore? Let me look. This is Greek mythology? Yes. Oh gosh. Um that was a lot of mental image. Um anyway. Ready? Yes. Okay. I even have my favorite sentence. Up here. Which is what what uh, Athena's kid. <laughs> which is what Annabeth which is what Annabeth had just called him. Yes. Like if Mr. D turned Percy into a dolphin, would Percy erupt into a shatter of... Shatter. Into a shatter. Erupt into a shower. A shower of gold. Yeah. Sparkly light. We got there. Yeah. I don't know. I'm allergic to recording podcasts. I know. <laughs>